Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, as we gather here today, we are going to be launching a brand new sermon series, a series called Relationship Status. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a biblical perspective from single to married, as well as several questions that fall in between those categories. And we're excited to be opening God's Word to see what He has to say about those things. Because let's be honest, our relationship status is a part of who we are. It impacts us. I mean, Facebook knows this. If if you go to my Facebook page and you look at the About Me panel, about three-fourths of the way down, there's a little heart, and next to it, it says, Married to Kimberly Atwater Robinson. Now, that's one of the best things about me is that I get to say that. Um, but, But here's the thing about that little statement. Mark Zuckerberg knows that if you want to get to know me, you have to know something about that status. It impacts what people know about us. It impacts a little bit of who we are. And, you know, this issue or item of, of listing that there, it's something for those of us who are, are married, but it's also something for those who are single. You know, I, honestly, I have been married longer than I've had an email address. That's true. Um, but but when, I, when I think about the world in which people live now as a single person, it's just challenging, right? There's a lot of, of new things. I never had to think about whether or not the relationship was going to become Facebook official, But that's a thing now, right? And there are questions that we have related to being married, questions that we have related to being single, and questions that we have related to our sexuality as our culture is giving us more and more uh, questions, and we're trying to find answers, and how do we respond, and how do we live? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be opening God's Word to see what God has to say about all of those topics. And so we're looking forward to that. And today we're going to be beginning that series by talking about what the Bible has to say about being single. Now, when I talk about being single, really we need to acknowledge that there are four different groups of people that that comprise single folks in our world. One group are those who are single but will one day not be single anymore. They're single and they hope to marry. There's another group that are single who will remain single. There is a a third group who are single, once married, but now divorced and single again. And there's a fourth group who were married, their spouse died, and now they are single because they are widowed. And those four groups of people comprise those who we call single here in the United States. Now, what's interesting is that number is a very high number. There are a lot of people that that describes. As a matter of fact, in 2009... Uh, a poll was done in the United States where it found that 55% of the United States adults were married. That means that 45% were single. And that number was a number that was increasing, really at a pretty rapid rate. In 1967, that number was 67% married of adults in America, the rest single. So this is not a niche issue. This is something that impacts many, many people. And yet, here's the thing. When we think about something that big, that significant, um, how often do we talk about it at church? When, when it comes to the topic of relationships, very often we run to the topic of marriage. 
And rightfully so, we teach it as something as, as important. But, but how often do we open up God's Word to see what God's Word has to say about being single? Not near as often. I mean, just, just to hazard a guess, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on singleness on a Sunday morning at some point in your life? Got a handful of hands, right? How many of you have ever heard a message on salvation? <laughs> Lots of people. How many of you have ever heard a message on marriage? Lots of hands, right? Many more. And yet, this topic of singleness is something God's Word talks about, and it's something that impacts roughly one out of two people that we will come into contact with as an adult. And, and by, by proxy, it impacts all of us in our lives. So it makes sense for us to open God's Word and to see what it has to say. Now, as we do that today, I want to just acknowledge that this is uh, not going to be a comprehensive message. Um, and one of the things we won't be touching on is the issue of dating. And, and the reason why we're not going to touch, and you may be thinking, well, that's what you're expecting this talk to be about. This, it's not what this topic is about. Certainly, the Bible gives us some direction in that area, but today we're not going to look at singleness with the only application be to find somebody to get married, right? That's the subtle implication if this is a message about dating. Today, I want us to look instead at what God's Word has to say about singleness and really the, how the grace and the gospel and the New Testament understanding of life would cause us to look at that topic maybe a little differently than we have in the past. So that's the plan. We're going to look at that today as we begin this new series, Relationship Status. We're going to see three things by looking at God's Word today. So if you've got a Bible, take it out. We're going to flip to a variety of passages today. But we're going to begin with this point. We need to understand the gift of being single. The gift of being single. Now, where, where do we find that? We find this idea of singleness as a gift embedded in chapter 7 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. See, when Paul writes this letter in chapter 7, he is talking about a number of issues related to marriage, but he also is talking about a number of issues related to singleness. And what he says in verses 6 to 9 is really surprising. This is what he says. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul was single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good that they remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul here in these verses talks about singleness as a gift. Now, What's interesting about that is the, the letter in which that phrase is found. Uh, singleness as a gift is, is found in the midst of a letter that has more information about gifts than any other letter in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, the topic of spiritual gifts and, and God setting aside different people for ministry is elaborated on like in no other place in the New Testament. And yet before he ever gets to talk about those spiritual gifts that are given in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul talks about singleness as another gift that God gives to the church. Now, certainly, let me just give this acknowledgement. Marriage is a gift too. But that shouldn't surprise us in the way that we talk about marriage and what we see in other places in Scripture. But it might be surprising for us to see that here Paul talks about singleness as a gift that is given from God. Now, when 
I say that, in our culture, our culture oftentimes wants to talk about singleness, really, in a way that, that would describe it as a gift of really selfish behavior. I remember a, a popular sitcom back in the 90s when I used to watch more television than I do now, and, and there was a sitcom where one of the lead characters found himself single for a summer, and they called that summer the Summer of George. And it was just a summer where George could do whatever he wanted to do, and that was, that was it. If he wanted to sit on the couch and eat a block of cheese, he could do that. That was the prime expression of singleness, right? And so some might say when we think of singleness as a gift that really it's an opportunity to be selfish, to do whatever you want with your time, to do whatever you want with your money. And yet what's interesting is when Paul talks about giftedness here and he talks about single being a gift, he's not talking about an opportunity for the flesh. He's not talking about an opportunity that really is ultimately even for the benefit of the individual. What Paul is doing is he's talking about singleness as a gift because God has given, entrusted something to a single person that gives them some unique opportunities to be a blessing to others. What does it mean when we talk about singleness as a gift? A few of the things that I think we could see in this passage and in the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, the first thing I think is singleness is a gift because it allows the single person an opportunity to focus on their relationship with the Lord. Paul mentions this in verse 32 and following. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, what Paul is saying is that singleness is a gift because it provides an opportunity in that season, in that situation in life to have a greater devotion to the Lord. It's not about pursuing fleshly desire or personal gain, but it's about an opportunity to have an increased devotion to the Lord in that season. And whether that is talking about somebody who is single for a time and later will be married, or whether that's talking about somebody who is finding themselves in a season of life where they are widowed or they're experiencing the pain of divorce and on the backside of that, whatever that season of life, this opportunity that God has entrusted to those who are single is an opportunity to increase their devotion to him. Second thing that we see inside of this, it's a gift because it's given for the building up of others through service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, we won't flip there, but in those verses, it, it talks about the reason why God gives gifts. God gives gifts to the church, not just for the personal blessing or edification of the one that he gives the gift to, but so that that person might be a blessing to others. Singleness is a gift because God has given some individuals opportunity to have an increased devotion to him, but also to have a particular service and ministry inside the church. It's a benefit to others. Third thing that we see about this Singleness being a gift is that it's something that's not for all. It's for some, but, but not all. This is implied back in verses 6 to 9 where he says, I'm not going to command this to you to be single. 
He's just saying, I have a wish that, that many of you would be, that if the Lord has this for you, it's a gift. It's, it's for some, like, like every spiritual gift. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of encouragement. He would say that some even have the gift of singleness. God has entrusted to them something for a season or a time. Jesus is going to say something very similar to this back over in, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 and following, when Jesus teaches about marriage and divorce and the disciples go, then, man, that sounds really high and steep calling. Like, how could anybody ever get married? And Jesus says, well, if, if you can stay single, stay single. It's good for those that God has given that to. And so we see consistent in Paul's teaching and in the teaching of Jesus, we, we see this idea that singleness is a gift that is given by the Lord to some to increase their devotion to him and to free them up in ways for some particular forms of service. We have this concept of singleness as a gift. Now, when I say that, we need to also acknowledge that that perspective is unique among the monotheistic religions of the world. The idea that, that singleness is a gift is not something you'll find in Judaism or Islam. You know, just look at some of these, these quotes. In the New Encyclopedia of Judaism, it says, marriage is a commandment in Jewish tradition and celibacy or singleness is deplored. But Muhammad says this, celibacy exceeds the law of God. And yet, what does the Apostle Paul say? Being single is a gift. The Christian perspective on this topic is unique. It's a revolution. When Paul said this inside of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he was speaking against the tradition of his world. He was letting them know that this new condition is a gift. Well, we'll see a little more later today about why that is. But we need to acknowledge right now being single is a gift. Now, how have we seen that play out in our lives? You know, personally, I have seen this play out in my life in the way that God has blessed me by my friends who are single. I have, I have one friend. Um, I actually, I have more than one friend. I, I'm going to talk specifically about one friend. Uh, but, I, but I have one friend that, that was single for a long time. He, he's now married, but for a number of years he was married. He was Facebook for our group of friends before there was Facebook, right? He just was present in our lives. Everybody had a big event, he was there. He was just around. He, he helped keep us connected. He was the glue that kept us connected. And, and what the Lord had for him at that season of his life was really a gift that was a blessing to us as it connected us. I think about my friends on the mission field. Wildwood is partnering with Kat Moy, and Kat's a, a good friend of ours, and we're on her team. And, and I think about what the Lord has freed her up with opportunities to serve over in Bosnia, training up church planners and, and helping to impact a nation for Christ and how he's doing that in the midst of her particular relationship status. It's a gift that he's given to the nation of Bosnia for this season with, with Kat. I think about how it plays out around Wildwood as there are, are just amazing people who are single who are investing heavily in ministry here, whether it's on the worship team, whether it's on our Awana team or, or children's ministry or student ministry who are just giving of their lives. They just have an opportunity to focus on the relationship with the Lord and to serve in a unique way, and I just am so thankful for them. And that whole idea, that whole understanding is embedded inside of the New Testament where this radical idea is shared that being single is a gift. Now, not only should that understanding 
allow us to see singleness as a gift and, and to be thankful for how God blesses us through single people around us, but it also ought to remind us that whatever our life circumstance is, it is a gift from the Lord. You understand that? Whatever your relationship status is, know that it's a gift, whether it's married, whether it's single, Wherever you find yourself in this season of life, the Lord has given you some unique opportunities, some unique experiences. And he doesn't want those things merely to be something that just kind of craters back into yourself, but he wants to minister to you and through you in that season in the lives of others. You see, God has entrusted us with gifts to minister to others, and and singleness is one of those. You know, sometimes... When we're in an era of life, we think that God can use us when we get to a different status, when we get to a different season. I know that in our our family, this is something that I struggle with. Some of you know this this story, uh, but we struggled to have children for some medical reasons for an extended period of time. And I would look around at all of my friends with all their kids, and I I would begin to think, okay, what does the Lord have for us? Maybe one day we'll be able to hit adulthood. Maybe one day we'll be able to get to that status or that season. And, and yet when I look back, I think about how the Lord it, through that season and in that time gave us some unique opportunities and how he has brought me at this point in my life to an understanding that though we, he's given us one child, our, our situation looks different than some, but it has given us opportunities that are gifts from God. In your life, the Lord has set you up in a good way be a blessing to others. Singleness is a gift. Second thing that I think we need to see, though, is this. We need to see the gospel, the gospel in being single. We need to see the gospel in it. Now, we are used to seeing the gospel in married life. We're used to seeing that, right? Uh, We're used to seeing that because in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the married relationship between a husband and wife being a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. You know, in our, our house, we, we have a picture of Kimberly and I that sits on top of a couple of little books. And in those little books, one of them is the Illustrated Gospels, and our picture sits there. And our, our friend David Brown was in our house a number of years ago, and he saw this picture. I know, I look exactly the same, don't I? And that's what you're thinking. I, I got it. Um, but, but here, here, here we are, and that picture sits on top of this little book, The Illustrated Gospels. And David saw that. He's very perceptive. And he said, you are, that's, that's awesome. It's awesome that you so intentionally set that picture on top of that book because marriage is an illustration of the gospel. And I remember hearing that, and I thought, David, I wish that was true. Now, our marriage is a blessing in the gospel to me, but we didn't set it there because of that. We set it there because it was the right size book. <laughs> But it's been a reminder to me ever since. And and it points us back to Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 32. At the end of this discussion of husbands and wives, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, this mystery is profound that I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, we are so used to understanding the gospel picture inside of marriage. But if we're not careful because of that understanding, because of that background, we can begin to think that the gospel is only pictured inside of marriage. And that's not true. The gospel is pictured, and and aspects of the gospel are given great clarity inside of the marriage relationship. But friends, the gospel is also clear in the life, in the backdrop, regardless of relationship status, for everyone inside the church. 
The gospel is also meaningful, and the gospel is also real, regardless of your relationship status. I mean, just, just think of some of these passages of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We saw earlier that Paul was single or married. What was his relationship status? What would have been on his Facebook page? Single, right? I'm guessing as he writes this that there are a number of believers in the city of Ephesus who were married. And yet Paul writes to both and he says, both of us are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The gospel reality, the gospel truth the hope that we have in Christ, the, the ability for our lives to be a reflection of God's goodness as others look upon us, all of that is available to the single and to the married. The gospel is not just embedded inside of a married relationship, it's embedded inside of a believer's life. We see this again over in Galatians chapter 3. Again, Paul writes, and I'll pick it up in verse 25. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What Paul is is indicating there in all of those contrasts is he's letting them know that no matter what their status is on a variety of areas, if they know Christ, they are full recipients of the promises of God. He says if, if they were from a Jewish background or a Gentile background, no matter where they are, if they know Christ, they are recipients of the promises of God. He says if, if they are a slave or they are a freed person, regardless of their background, if they know Christ, they are recipients of the promises of God. If, if they are a male or female, they are recipients of the promises of God if they know Christ. And though he doesn't say it explicitly, I think that he's giving these as examples to indicate that whether they are married or single, they are, if they know Christ, they are recipients of the promises of God. And what that means is that the gospel has extreme impact and has the ability to show forth God's goodness and grace in our lives regardless of our relationship status. If we are married, it will show forth in one way. But if we are single, it will show forth in a different way that is no less significant. Barry Danilak said this of this idea. Um, It's kind of a longer quote, but I think it will help illustrate the point well. A portion of that quote's on the screen. He says, some explanation is needed regarding what we don't mean. We're not saying that all else in creation, save our relationship with Christ, is to be disparaged as worthless, of no value. Nor are we suggesting that health, marriage, children, family, wealth, career, and so on are not also blessings of God. Every good gift comes to us from God alone. What we are saying is that if, heaven forbid, we should lose our health, our marriage, our wealth, or whatever, we are no less fully blessed in Christ as children of the new covenant and fully anticipating an imperishable inheritance. 
awaiting us in his kingdom. Friends, this quote, by the way, comes from Danilak's book, Redeeming Singleness. I would recommend it if this is a topic that you want to explore further. But he begins to set our mind to think that the blessings of God to the believer come to us apart from our relationship status. Certainly, God can bless us through our relationship, but he's not bound by that. And his blessing can come to us in many other ways. I think about the ways that I see the gospel in the lives of all of you as I look out. I don't know all of your stories, but I know many of them. Certainly for those who are married, you're you're here with your spouse today, and I, I know something of your situation, and I can say, I can see this beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Husband sacrificing, loving wife, wife supporting and respecting her husband. I can see that. It reminds me of the gospel, and I'm praising God for you. But as I look out around the room, I also think about those who who are widowed. And I think about how in, in your life, in your situation, in singleness, I see in you the gospel. Because you are able to have hope, even even in a situation that looks hopeless. You have found a family that doesn't waver, that doesn't change inside the people of God. I, I see that in your life. I see that in your experience. The single parent today that's, that's struggling, I, I, see, I see you out there. And I see the gospel in your life because God is, is helping to, to, to bind you up, to care for you, to provide for your needs each and every day. I see the gospel at work in your life. Friends, when we gather here together, we are not bound by our relationship status. And we say, in those who are married, we see the gospel. No, in those who know Christ, we see the gospel at work. And just your very life demonstrates the gospel. This means for the, for, for the single parent, the Lord is able to allow your children to see his goodness and grace, even right now in the midst of what might be a terribly broken and hurt period of time. The Lord's able to redeem that. He's able to work. Friends, when we think about this issue of singleness, we think about it as a gift that God has entrusted to some. But we also need to think and and remember that the gospel is revealed in the midst of it. But there's a third thing that I want us to see today, and and that is, is really this. The generational legacy of being single. The generational legacy. Now, What do I mean when I say that? What I mean is, when we think about our lives, we want our lives to have a legacy. I think all of us do. We we want the world to be impacted by our life in a positive way. We want those who come after us and the next generation to be positively impacted because we were there. I mean, when we go camping, we talk about leaving the campsite better than we found it, right? Um, when we think about living and investing our lives, we want those who follow us to find a better world than the one that we had because we've invested, we've imparted something to them. We talked last week about how a significant portion of that is when we take the opportunity to pass along the spiritual truth that was entrusted to us, passing it on to others also in the next generation. This is generally how, how God has designed it. But, but here's the thing. When we begin to think about that issue of leaving a legacy, oftentimes we want to relegate it merely to our, our physical children. Whether they are adopted children or whether they are children that we gave birth to, we think of leaving a legacy oftentimes inside of our own household. 
And part of the reason why I think we do that is because we have an Old Testament understanding of life. You see, in the Old Testament, family lines, family trees were extremely important, right? I mean, just flip through some of those Chronicles books and look at chapter after chapter of so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so. In the New Testament, really, all we get of that is, is of the person of Jesus in his family tree, but, but really nothing else. But in the Old Testament, this was very important. And why is that? It's because it was really important because God had said that Eve's seed would be the redeemer. God said that David's descendant would sit on the throne forever. God said that the descendants of, of Jacob or Israel would, would possess the land. They would, they would live inside of land that he promised. This understanding in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the first 39 books of our Bible, it's embedded inside of those, those, those books and those chapters that God is multiplying his kingdom through some form of birth line. And that's why oftentimes when God talked about the blessing in the Old Testament, he talked about that blessing of giving them many children and protecting their borders because it was a relationship with one people. Ultimately, with the intention of reaching the world, but God had a special relationship with one people, and the growth inside that covenant were mostly through biological growth. That's the way it worked in the Old Testament. But friends, is that the way it works in the New Testament? Has anything changed? The answer is absolutely yes. Think about what Jesus talked about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Remember that? Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and uh, he says, Nicodemus, if you are to be connected to God, you need more than just a birth connection through the nation of Israel, but you need a rebirth. You need to be born a second time, not born again physically, but spiritually. And, and Nicodemus didn't understand this at first. He's like, hey, I can't crawl back in my mother's womb. I'm not going back there. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you, you, don't, you don't understand. I'm not talking about another physical birth with that family tree. I'm talking about a spiritual birth, a rebirth of your soul as you place your faith and trust in Christ. And what we see Jesus doing is as this whole new opportunity where those who place their faith in him, like we saw in Galatians 3, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their background, now have an access to the Father through spiritual rebirth. My, my guess is that many of us take full advantage of this in the sense that we did not grow up Jewish, and yet here we sit today in relationship with the living God. How did that happen? It happened because the New Testament, the new covenant relationship that God has with us is different, not on the basis of birth lines. Well, we don't baptize infants. We wait for them to make a profession of faith because it's rebirth in the new covenant that connects us to God and to his blessing. So here's the connection of that to this idea of this generational legacy for the single. You see, if the only legacy we can leave is a physical legacy through either physical children or adopted children, if that's the only legacy that we can leave, then we need to get married and start having kids. But here's the thing. Though God 
certainly wants to work through us to leave that legacy in the life of children if that's part of his gift or his plan for us. Because this happens through spiritual means, it's possible for us to have spiritual children, to have a legacy that goes beyond just the physical nuclear family. Again, we we know this. Uh, Paul was single. He had no physical children of his own, and yet, what does he say in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2? He says, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Timothy wasn't Paul's physical child, but he was Paul's spiritual child. Paul had invested in him. He had taken the truth of Jesus Christ that he had come to know and treasure, and he had poured that out into the life of Timothy to help set him up and equip him for a lifetime of serving him. Paul saw this father-son type relationship with Timothy, not on the basis of a physical connection, but on the basis of a spiritual connection. It wasn't just Timothy, it also was others, including those in Thessalonica, Paul writes them this letter, and in chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You see, inside of the Christian worldview, It's possible to leave a legacy, even a legacy that goes beyond your nuclear family because we can invest in others spiritually. You know, we know this to be true. We know this to be true from our own lives. I don't know, when you think about your own life, how hard or far you have to think to to remember somebody outside of your nuclear family that has had a profound impact on your life spiritually. My my hope and prayer, friends, is that that list is long and is real. I know that it is for me. I I think I've mentioned over the last few weeks, I mentioned my friend Dwight Nash or or Todd Steumann or Bill Bolt or Bruce Hess or other people who have had an impact on my life, who have invested in me and prayed with me and pointed me to Christ. And though I am not physically related that I know of to any of those men, I feel like I am their child in the Lord. I feel like I'm a, I'm a Timothy to their Paul because of the investment that they made in me along the way. And friends, the same opportunity exists for you. You know, sometimes we can, we can begin to think if we're single, well, I, I would love to have a legacy. I'd love to have children. Well, guess what? You don't have to wait to be married to have a legacy. You don't have to wait till God opens the womb if you're struggling with infertility right now. You don't have to wait for those things to happen to have a legacy because of the spiritual rebirth in John chapter 3. We can trust the Lord to work in and through us to leave a legacy behind us that go beyond physical means. And because of that, we ought to be encouraged to, to get in the game. Not just to look for somebody to invest in us, but also for us to look for those we might be able to invest in ourselves. So many of you invest in that through one of our ministries here. Many of you are investing in those in your neighborhood or or in your family, certainly parents with their children, but also in other areas. But I would just encourage us to continue to excel still more in this area. Look at leaving a legacy even outside of your own family. And this is a, a liberating thought. 
Again, in an old covenant understanding, the reason why we saw those quotes up earlier about how celibacy is, is, is you know, to be avoided at all costs is because there was an understanding inside of those religions that marriage and physical legacy was where it was at. Certainly, marriage and physical legacy is a part of what God is doing in our lives, but in Christ, we also have another category. That's the category of a spiritual legacy and rebirth. How are you investing your lives in that, in that way? Well, friends, we are talking in this series about relationship status, and we have begun this series today by talking about the issue of being single. And we've looked at it maybe in a different way than you've thought about it or looked at it in the past. Um, but I want to let you know briefly where we're headed over the next few weeks. Next week, Pastor Bruce will be here, and he's going to be sharing with us about the issue of marriage from a biblical perspective. So we've talked about the status of being single. Next week, we're going to talk about the relationship status of marriage, and he will guide us into God's Word as we look at that topic. Then two weeks from now, on February the 25th, we're going to do something we haven't really done before, and that's going to be that Bruce and I are going to be up here, and we're going to kind of go back and forth with some Q&A during our, our, our message time and deal with some issues of, of both sexuality, but marriage, divorce, remarriage, those kinds of questions that we struggle with. We're going to talk about those a little more um, in a Q&A format uh, on February 25th. And, and as we do that, we would love to, to not just be up here and talk, but also to address some of the questions that you may have in these areas. And so one of the things that you can do is if you go to our website, this logo is there. You can click on that logo and it'll take you to a spot where you can submit a question if you'd like for us to address it. We don't promise that we're going to get to everything um, that is addressed, but we, we promise we'll get back to you in one way or shape or form, either from the stage or in personal contact about the questions that you raise. And so we're uh, looking forward to that on the 25th. Um, then on uh, March the 4th, we're going to talk about really a plan for growth in your marriage. If, if through the course of this thing, questions come up and you, you would like to talk a little more, more about that, we're going to be addressing that on uh, March the 4th, at really a third option. How do you have the marriage you want with the person that you're committed to? We're going to talk about that on March the 4th. So that's the plan over the next month, and we look forward to having you join us. One last thing before I, I pray and invite them up. Uh, some of the thoughts that we have in this series really have flowed out of a study that we have done as an elder team on the topic of, of marriage. And so if, if you would like to know more about that, on our website, you can find some information about Wildwood's position on some of these things. Um, and our, our teaching in this series, though, is in summary of some of those thoughts. So let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the worship team to come and to lead us. Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to worship today, and thank you for the the truth of your word that lets us know the gift of singleness. Just as you have given the gift of marriage to your church, you've also given the gift of singleness. And thank you, Father, how you've redeemed that in our lives. And I pray that you would help us as your followers now to embrace the gifts that you have entrusted to us and to focus on you in the season of life that you have for us. Father, that we would be a blessing in our church and in our community in the lives of those around us. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today, Father, and I pray that you give us faith to follow as we lead. In Jesus' name.